The Matt Wyatt Show podcast is made possible by Mississippi Land Bank. Buying or selling, make sure you go there first. Online at mslandbank.com. That's Mississippi Land Bank, where they understand the lay of the land in North Mississippi. You know, there's a guy on the phone right now, on the Divinity Equipment phone line, who I think loves college baseball more than I do and more than you do. <laughs> Maybe. His name's Charlie Winfield, and he's on your radio right now. He's one of the guys on the Out of Left Field podcast. He and Bart Gregory, of course, Mississippi State analyst for games on the SEC Network Plus, and he's got some Notre Dame in his past, and so he's a perfect guy to talk to today. Charlie, happy Monday to you, man. How are you? Man, my heart is not healthy enough for game threes. <laughs> it's um, Well, let me read you a text, okay, that I just got. I'm going to tee this one up for you. Because this is one that you will remember and probably um, have your own take on it, all right? All right. I just got a text from one of our listeners named White Denzel, and he says, Matt, I'm just saying I'm getting a 2000 Mississippi State regional vibe about tonight. He said, in that regional, State beat Notre Dame, get the regional final. Uh, Notre, Notre Dame beat a 7 or nothing in the first game of that regional final and then walked it off, State walked it off to win it. He says, I think... Um, same thing happens tonight. He's predicting a six to five walk off win. What happened? Is he remembering that correctly? Are we in a ballpark? Pardon the pun. Oh yeah, yeah. So absolutely, you go back and in 2000, it was a four team regional. One of the first times I think that we'd had a four team regional here. Used to have the six team regionals. Mm -hmm. Notre Dame came to town, and we actually ended up playing them three games in the regional. One of the other teams, by the way, in that regional was Tulane and. Jake Gotro, uh, Mississippi State's hitting coach, actually hit a home run against Notre Dame in, wow. in that series. But it's, it's funny how baseball always comes back around, right? But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, we won 8-1 to one in the first time we played them in the winner's bracket. Mark Freed pitched for Mississippi State. And then in game two, we all thought this was the Notre Dame had to beat you twice. Everybody mm -hmm. thought you were kind of on your way and – didn't see any way that Notre Dame would beat you because they had a guy throwing 23 innings all year who was just 15 months off Tommy John surgery, a guy named Danny Tamayo. And nobody expected anything, but the way the world always works in postseason baseball, this guy comes out, takes a no-hitter into the seventh. Notre Dame beats Mississippi State seven to nothing in that ball game. So it forces that last game and there were just big plays after big play in that series. You had Travis Chapman hit a home run for Mississippi State to go up. And then Notre Dame, Matt, they were down to their final strike. They're down 9-7, to seven and they hit a pop-up out to short center field. Nobody catches it. The guy scores from first, ties the game, and then that mm -hmm. sets it up for Ty Martin to hit the home run. There was a great Ty Martin story that I had not heard before. We talked to him the other day, and Ty said he's standing there watching the pitcher. Notre Dame brought their closer in, and he said Pat McMahon, who was Mississippi State's coach at the time, just kind of walked out to him on the on deck circle and said, Ty, why don't you just go ahead and hit one out of here? And then turned around and walked off, and sure enough, that's what happened. <laughs> How about that? And, and Charlie, uh, just a side note here for you personally, uh, help me out and remind me and our listeners your connection with Notre Dame. You went to school there, right? Yeah, so I am grew up in Starville, went to Mississippi State for my undergraduate degree, and look, I'm a I'm a state guy, but then I went to Notre Dame for law school, so I spent three years, the uh, last three years of the Lou Holtz era, 
in mm-hmm. Notre Dame. And, uh, you know, Matt, it was one of those deals where State wasn't very good in football, so I go to Notre Dame, and they turn not very good, and you guys start winning here while I'm gone. <laughs> so there may be a lesson to take from that. How about that? So I guess you were there during the uh, Jarius Jackson years at Notre Dame football? I was there for the Ron Palace years. Even better. The, uh, oh, okay. I remember Ron Palace that beat Yeah, er, early 90s. Yes, I was there 94 to 97. So I was there right before Bob Davey and Jarius Jackson was coming in. Okay, okay. Because I was thinking right about that time, too, a young Dan Mullen was like a GA at Notre Dame. Yeah, you might have. Yeah, and Urban Meyer, it's interesting because Urban Meyer was the wide receivers coach there. And yeah. I kept hearing all this buzz about what a talented coach they had. And how they were just all really upset because they were losing their, losing their wide receivers coach to uh, Bowling Green, and <laughs> such uh, starts the run of Urban Meyer. Yeah, and the rest is history. Okay, so there's the connection, and um, I, I just I've got to ask you a question that has no bearing on anything, but just since I brought it up, Charlie. Okay, I have a great appreciation for Notre Dame, their history, obviously from a football perspective, all of that. I know how a lot of purists feel about the movie Rudy. I love it. The Homecoming Queen, she loves it. Okay, we love. But I have a problem with the helmet change. Okay, I like the old gold, like when you were in school, like they were wearing back in the Lou Holtz years. I don't like oh, the yes. ga- I don't like the gaudy, shiny gold they've gone to now. Do you have an opinion on that? I have a very strong opinion, and I agree with you, and, and so do a lot of Notre Dame alumni. So. Notre Dame, you know, of course, that gold was, you know, used on those helmets forever. And the tradition was that before every game, the night before, there was a group of students that repainted those helmets. And the thing was, you put a little bit of gold in there every time. And in fact, I think it was, it would have been the 1994 game with Michigan. I actually got to go paint the helmets one time. Really? So that, and because they were being painted, it was just a flatter paint. And what they've gone to is, Somebody decided we're going to save some money and go to mass production, and they, I think mm. to some degree worried about lawsuits and whether helmets degrade with the wrong kind of paint, and, you know, the, as the world turns. And so that is actually, you think those black jerseys are a hot topic among Mississippi State fans and what ought to happen to them? Mm. I can promise you the Notre Dame alumni are every bit as outraged by that bright, reflective, just blinding gold. I, I'm actually very glad to hear that i have more respect for the notre dame fan base because of it not that i i lacked it but charlie winfield on your radio right now you can follow him on twitter if you don't already if you're a state fan particularly you need to do that baseball fan at charlie winfield and he's on the podcast with bart gregory the out of left field podcast and if you love uh mississippi state sports mississippi state baseball in particular and uh you need to give that a shot if you haven't already charlie uh another hot topic who who to pitch in this game three, what do you think we'll see on the mound for State? I don't know who's going to go out there to start. We've spent a lot of time debating that. I do not personally believe we're very likely to see Landon Sims. I know that's kind of become the the talk of the past two days with Broadway and then cops starting in their respective games. I just hate to take a guy who hasn't been a starter and do something different. It just feels a lot like panic to me. And particularly a guy who kind of thrives off that adrenaline and that rush of the tight situation. So I hate to do that. And what was funny is, so I was making that argument, 
as to the reason not to start Landon Sims because he hasn't done it before. And then I got to think, well, let's start Stone Simmons. He's been pretty good, and yeah. then you get to looking, and Stone Simmons hadn't started a game either. So, <laughs> right. you know, Bart had a, a, a great observation that I think Houston Harding, you know, is going to get a lot of those innings early in the ball game. The question is, is he more comfortable out of the bullpen? And mm-hmm. you know, Bart Gregory's solution was. Let's just keep him down in the bullpen. We'll all the rest of them can go out for the national anthem, and when the anthem's done, we'll run him out there like he's a relief pitcher, and so just kind of fake it. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. I think realistically, it's kind of going to be a Harding or perhaps a Stone Simmons start. I'd just be really surprised if you see Sims other than on the back end. But I think you've got a good chance to see him and Preston Johnson before the day's done. If if it, the game were being a situation where you you do see Sims late there in the game, how many pitches do you think he can go out and throw? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, one of the things that I guess I, is kind of one of the arguments that I have with people all the time is they talk about pitching. Well, you just got to get tough. You got to get tough. And what I tell people is, it's baseball is not the physical sport in the sense that football is where it's about reaching down and getting tougher and blocking somebody when you're pitching there's a lot of kind of finely tuned skills that are involved too it, it, there's a muscle failure comes into play mm-hmm. it's like I, I tell somebody you can scream at me and tell me to get tough and i'm not knocking out 200 push-ups over here somewhere around seven or eight the muscles are done and i'm not lifting myself anymore right and right. so somewhere along the way that happens with pitchers sims through 29 pitches the other day, so two days ago. And one thing we haven't seen, what we've only seen a couple of times all year long, is him come back and pitch in the same weekend. My best guess is that you've got him somewhere 30 to 40, but I don't think you can really expect Sims to come out and give you four or five innings. That just hasn't been his M.O. this year. Sure. You know, Charlie, you mentioned muscle failure um, and, and I think someone who's never experienced it might have a hard time understanding it. I've experienced it in, in, in my legs. had a, a deal once in the summer workout portion of being a football player at State. I think I was a sophomore, junior. And you remember Mike Grant used to be our strength and conditioning coach there for a lot of years. And we were just having a good time at the end of a workout in a weight room once. And he challenged me to get out on a leg press and do a bunch of weight. And, and I did it twice. I pushed this weight up. Well, we were supposed to immediately then go out and hit the track and run with the parachutes. You know, we pull these parachutes for running. And because of those two reps, it was like some enormous amount of weight that I pushed up on a leg press twice. My legs just failed. They just quit. They were in shock. And there was no such thing as doing any of that running workout. I was willing. Uh, I had the stamina elsewhere in my body, but those muscles just quit. And, you know... If you've ever seen a guy on a mound that is overworked, and I, and I, you know, we haven't seen it a ton, but all of a sudden just loses it, like is is completely incapable of hitting a strike zone, sometimes that's happening right before our eyes, isn't it, Charlie? And we might not even realize that. Yeah, a lot of times you see guys, kind of their reaction is, you know, one of the things we talk about all the time on these guys who throw hard in particular is like life on the fastball. You want to see it ride. You want to see it run. You want to see something happen with it. And it just flattens out after a while. One of the best examples I can think of back in Major League Baseball, we had a lot of Cubs fans. I know I was pulling for the Cubs back when they won the World Series. And they pitched to Chapman in relief a ton. 
just a ton through that World Series. Well, by the end, his fastballs had just flattened out, and people were starting to hit him. And you say, well, what's wrong with the guy? Well, it wasn't just that he lost a mile per hour or two. He lost his movement, too. And so that guy's tough. Mm-hmm. He's strong. He's you know supremely conditioned. It just after a while, it doesn't work anymore. And to some degree, you know, it's tough to take a sprinter and make him a marathon runner. And Landon Sims has been much more of a sprinter. Now, yeah. if you want a guy that's going to get tough, give you everything he's got. I mean, look, he's a bulldog now. He's tough, and I think he'll give you every last drop that he has. But ultimately, it's just not as simple as saying, let's give the ball to him and let him pitch nine innings. It isn't going to happen. Sure. Charlie Winfield on your radio right now. Y'all can follow him on Twitter at Charlie Winfield. He's uh, one of the hosts of the Out of Left Field podcast. Give that a shot if you don't already, uh, especially if you're a baseball fan, you'll enjoy it. Hey, and one uh, more thing, too, on the pitching side, Charlie. This came up earlier in the show. Uh, Chris called in, who listens a lot. He was just curious about guys like particularly McLeod and Bednar, their draft status, you know, are they for sure going to go both high enough that no chance we'll see them again next year in Starkville? Or, or do they consider coming back? You know, all those things. you have any clarity you can offer us on how to look at that for those two pitchers at Mississippi State? Yeah, I would be floored if either one of those two were back. Um, mm-hmm. I think ultimately you look at how much can you do to advance yourself. And the other thing to think about is, you know, age kicks in, right? And so at some point, it's just a matter of needing college baseball to develop, to grow. College baseball pitchers are much more valued now as opposed to high school pitchers. But there comes a time when you've got to go. And I I, I would be very, very surprised if we see either one of them back at Mississippi State next year. I think of all the draft-eligible people, if you made me guess, I'd say Cameron James may have a shot at being the guy back, but as far as pitchers go, I would be very surprised. Now, I'd be pleasantly surprised, but I would be surprised. Sure. Also, you've got this portal kicking in. I wonder, I can't help, Charlie, but wonder how rosters and the whole process of fielding a team from year to year is about to look and feel different for, you know, our. Like these fan bases, like at Mississippi State, that follow it really closely, with now the possibility that more often these Division One transfers are going to start popping in here to be able to like show what they can do, even though they've been really good at let's say another SEC or D one school to come in here and play in front of fifteen thousand people, and and that you know the potential that could help their draft status. I wonder if that's going to be something that we have to factor in. We start to look at future teams. It's going to be huge. I told somebody the other day, you don't need somebody that played college baseball. You need somebody that was a math major just to run a baseball <laughs> team now because there's so much going on. And I wonder what it's going to do, not just for Mississippi State, but what's the what's the other side of that reaction? Um, I look at Campbell, who came in here last weekend for the regional. They got the shortstop, Neto, mm-hmm. who was good. I mean, yeah. good. And, and, and you could tell he was good just watching him take the field, and, and he backed it up. So that's a guy that's player of the year in his conference, and all of a sudden you start looking at Twitter, what's everybody saying? You want to play here next year. Uh-huh. And not just state fans, I mean different parts of the country. And so now if I'm a coach at Samford, if I'm a coach at VCU, if I'm a coach at Campbell, 
and now I'm taking my team on the road for a regional, you know, you wonder a little bit, how much am I going to have to be boxing people out not trying to poach my players? Because to some of those guys, particularly those who weren't that highly recruited, all of a sudden you wonder. We had a great conversation not too long ago, Matt, with Marcus Timms, who's now the hitting coach for the Yankees. And Marcus didn't start for his high school team until he was a senior. Well, between his junior and senior year of high school, he joins the National Guard. He gains 20 pounds. Those weak fly balls become home runs. Next thing you know, the guy's on his path you know, to play in the major leagues. There is a ton of guys out there who just get overlooked a little bit because college baseball has to recruit at such a young age right now. If you go to LSU, you go to Ole Miss, Mississippi State, they're targeting guys who are in 10th grade. And so when you start to say, well, what are you doing recruiting-wise, man, that's, that's years away. But the thing that is here now is the transfer portal, and it's those guys, say, like a Marcus Timms, who go to a smaller school. Now there's a pathway for those guys to go prove themselves for a year, then play their way up into the SEC. And I, I think it's going to be a dramatic impact on college baseball. Yeah. No, I, I think absolutely. Hey, uh, here's a hardball question for you real quick. Did they build uh, Duty Noble big enough? Yeah, so interesting question. Uh, <laughs> how do I sidestep that one? Yeah, um, I know. I know. <laughs> you, know um, you know, one of the things, and it's been, and I recognize I'm going out of sport here for a minute. I went down, I think it would have been oh, seven, eight, nine years ago. When, I'll tell you when it was. It was uh, 2014. Notre Dame played at Florida State. In football, so I went down to Florida State, who at the time was you know number one in the country. They're one of the best teams in the country. They were winning national championships, and they don't have a huge stadium. But the next year, I started getting email wanting me to buy Florida State season tickets, and I still periodically get one. And it just kind of hit me that wait a minute, if the team who's number one in the country is having trouble filling up stadiums, what's mm-hmm. going on? And then you start to think about that in basketball. You look at the new arenas. Ole Miss could have built the pavilion bigger. But they built a nice arena. Auburn could have built their arena bigger. They didn't. They kind of went with a nice. And so I wonder, you know, there's been a lot of talk among ADs saying we don't need to build facilities for one weekend or two weekends a year. We need to build something that fits 95% of our need, and then we'll deal with the outliers. So, yeah, it's a tough one. I understand both sides of the argument. I will say this. I'm glad we have a team that people want to come see. I'm glad they've created that problem. Yeah, if you can even call it a problem. And I'm walking around 13,000, 14,000 people yesterday, and I can promise you it's not a problem. You know, But it's yeah, that's uh, pretty right. cool. That's pretty cool. Charlie, it's great to catch up with you. And, um, you know, it's official. I have now talked to someone on my radio show who has painted the Notre Dame gold helmets with his own bare hands. That's pretty cool. And I'd like to emphasize the old version of the gold. <laughs> I want no association with those new things. Okay. Noted. Thank you, Charlie. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Charlie Winfield, he and Bart Gregory have the Out of Left Field podcast. Y'all need to give that a shot if you haven't already. It is really good. Two guys that, you know, they, they have have a pretty incredible um, memory bank in terms of college baseball players and coaches and games and series and regionals and super regionals, and they do a, a heck of a job. And 
Charlie's been on the call with just about all of the games this year for Mississippi State with Bart on the SEC Plus. And uh, neat guy. Charlie's an attorney. You know, you heard him say he went to law school. And that's that's how he's making his living is he's an attorney. But I can assure you, he's like the rest of us. He's thinking about baseball, football, and stuff most of the time. <laughs> it's just every now and then we have to go to work. All right. Uh, your thoughts on that and uh, other things that we talked about throughout the interview with Charlie. Lots of comments on the live stream, Facebook, YouTube, coming to y'all when we come back. Uh, the text line, Teddy and Louvier and Mailman and Pete and Jason and Anthony and Squirrel and Ghost Pepper and everybody. <gasps> I promise. Coming right to you. Y'all stick around in the Bureau.